There really is nothing like a concert. The lights illuminating fog, the stage crew doing sound checks before the show, the fans gathering. During the show, you see your favorite musician live and in person. Everyone is cheering. You feel the bass in your feet. It's a perfect world until a pandemic hits. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie, and bye-bye concerts. In March of 2020, musicians around the world canceled concerts and tours, leaving a hole in the entertainment industry. Now, the only way to truly have a safe concert is to do it virtually. While virtual concerts are not a new idea, their success definitely is. Big artists and groups like Billie Eilish, the 18-year-old singer-songwriter that is taking over the music charts, and Korean pop sensation BTS with their 14 Guinness World Records are pulling in tens of millions performing virtual concerts. But what about the smaller artists and groups? Well, that's where companies like Stageit come in. Stageit was founded in 2009 and it was the first ticketed livestream platform. The company launched their first products in 2011. Since then, Stageit has been providing live streaming capabilities to artists across the globe. 2020 has been a period of incredible growth for the company as artists worldwide have turned to live streaming as their primary method of generating revenue. So, here to talk about all things virtual concerts is the CEO of Stageit, Stephen White. Steven has been in the game a long time, and by the end of this episode, you'll be able to brag that you know everything about virtual concerts and how to make the most out of them. In case you haven't already figured it out, I'm not Kim Commando. My name is Cassidy Taylor. You may know me as the podcast princess or the show producer of the Kim Commando show or the co-host of our new Tech Refresh podcast. I am here with you today because apparently I got a little too excited about this episode of Tech You Should Know and virtual concerts, so I kind of just took the whole thing over, and it's going to be a blast because coming up, this is must-have information for anyone in the business of hosting concerts or enjoying them. We are talking today with the CEO of Stageit, Stephen White. So let's go ahead and get into it. And I want to start with what are virtual concerts? How did they come to be a thing? Because this is not something new to 2020 pandemic land. Can you explain how virtual concerts became really this whole movement? Sure. Um, and thanks for having me today, folks. Um, you know, virtual concerts have been around for quite some time. Stageit uh, started in 2009. Uh, and our founder, um, was a, uh, Evan Lowenstein, was a touring musician. Um, and he decided, you know, after several years of touring the world, you know, being on the road 200 plus days out of the year, that he wanted to find a way to be able to start a family and to be, you know, kind of at home more and not on the road, but also wanted to still be able to connect with his fans. And so Stage It was born as an idea out of this concept of bringing performances to fans, you know, over the internet uh, without having to travel and be there in real life. And, you know, really that it was very early. You know, there wasn't a lot of bandwidth proliferation at the point. 
at that point. And so it took some time for it to really catch on. I think a couple of things really happened to, you know, lead to the explosion that we're seeing right now. Um, the first is, you know, as, as bandwidth started to become high, high speed bandwidth started to become more available to consumers um, and services like uh, Instagram, Facebook started to enable live streaming capabilities into their platform. Performers started to use that to perform to their fans and most of those performances were free. And so, you know, but that really um, led to some pretty broad adoption of the technology and, and, and awareness of the technology. And then, you know, fast forward to March of this year, when the lockdown first started, you know, people started to turn to these channels as the only way to get access to content. And that's led to a real explosion uh, in both usage and consumption of virtual content. Yes. And we'll get into kind of the 2020 explosion. That's what I'm going to call it from now on uh, of virtual concerts in a little bit later in the podcast. But I kind of want to jump back to what you said earlier about the technology that needed to be available for this kind of thing to happen, because it is true. You needed to have a certain internet speed, the certain type of equipment. What was some of the early challenges in getting virtual concerts up and off the ground? You know, the early challenges were really, you know, getting artists to try it, Um, you know, getting artists to come onto the platform uh, and actually perform, you know, a virtual concert. It's a very different experience to perform in front of a camera and not a crowd. Um, it's a very you know different thing to interact with someone through chat and, and interact with your fans through a chat window versus you know having that direct feedback of a crowd right in front of you. And so you know just educating folks as to the value of this, what this meant, you know how how it would provide them this new canvas uh, and this new ability to be creative in ways that maybe they had never thought about before. It was really all about education. And then the other challenge is when you got them there, you know, there weren't enough fans um, because fans didn't have these broadband connections. They weren't really ready to consume this content either. And so, you know, you'd get a big artist like a Bon Jovi to try the platform and you'd get them on there and it'd be like, okay, there's, you know, 20,000 people here. That's great. But I'm used to playing stadium shows to 60, 70, 80,000 people. You know, for this to be really interesting, you need to be able to bring a broader audience to bear for for these these artists. And so both those challenges were the the early hurdles. And it really took, you know, some education of the marketplace and again, the proliferation of bandwidth for it to become a bit more popular. So in the early days of kind of getting this off the ground, what was the profitability before it really became the only option because people still wanted to go to live shows. They wanted to feel the bass in their feet, all that stuff. So were people even spending money on these concerts? You know, they were, um, but it was, it was relatively small, um, you know, groups of people. Um, the, the, the financial metrics haven't changed that much. Um, you know, people, when they decided that they would attend a show, especially on our platform where all the shows are ticketed paid shows, once somebody decides they're going to pay money to attend something, you know, they attend and because they've paid for money for it, they tend to, you know, lean in and participate a bit more than if it was something free that they just happen to stumble upon on Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, and so, yeah, the shows generated revenue. The crowds were a bit smaller in terms of the audience. 
but the financial metrics in terms of the average spend per user and that kind of stuff was pretty similar. And so what led you to make the decision to not archive the shows and not repeat them later? These are shows where they're happening live virtually, and that's it. That's the only time you can see them. But what led you to make that decision? There's a couple of things. One is, you know, I think if you think you can always come back and see something later, um, you know, you're unlikely to make the time and effort to get there to see it when it's live. Um, and so while that provides a lot of flexibility for consumers, you know, it, it doesn't lead to the same type of moment um, that we're trying to create here. When you think about what happens in a live show, um, you know, you go to a show, you experience a moment in time, you experience that with your friends that you're there with, with the rest of the audience and with the artist. And there's something that's really special that's created in that moment in time. And so we wanted to recreate that conceptually, you know, in a, in a, a virtual experience and to mimic some of those things of, you know, it's a one-time live thing. You're, you're paying for the time. You're paying for an artist's time and you're paying for access to that artist for that period of time and the ability to interact with them in a very intimate, you know, face-to-face experience. And we think that that, creates these very special moments that you just can't rebroadcast or recreate when neither party is is there anymore. Yes, I did actually attend virtually, of course, a virtual concert a couple weeks back. And it was kind of a bummer because they were based in the UK. And so the virtual concert itself was great. It looked phenomenal. They really had to push some of their creative limits, but they took the opportunity to do things that you can't do in a live show um, where there's a crowd and people and you can kind of visualize things and have everyone see everything fully. But by the time the live stream, quote unquote, got to the US where we are and I watched it, it was recorded three hours ago. So it wasn't truly live. And I see that uh, is kind of a common occurrence. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, other, other platforms do do it that way. You know, they tend to do more re-records, pre-records um, than they do live. That's not what Stage It's about. Stage is about live shows. And, you know, we want you to have an interactive experience with the artist. We want the artist to see you commenting you know, on what they're doing and to be able to respond to that, you know, whether it be, you know, calling out for songs that you want played, you know, letting them know what you think about what they're doing, answering questions that they may ask. All those things are part of that, you know, interaction. And what makes these moments so intimate is you, you know, you have access to these artists in a way you just wouldn't if you are in a giant stadium or you're sitting, you know, even in good seats, but you're 30, 40, 50 rows back, you know, from the stage. We like to say it's a stage stage it. We give, you know, a front row seat to a backstage experience. Every attendee is sitting in the front row. Every attendee is face to face with the artists that they love. Yeah. And that sounds nice to also not have, you know, there's a guy behind you spilling beer all over you. There's people in front of you blocking your view. So that does seem to be the advantage of a virtual concert. And so what I want to get into next is really where we are today. We are going to get into 2020 pandemic land. Here we are. And virtual concerts are really the only option today. 
So coming up, we're going to be continuing our conversation with Stephen White. Stick around to Tech You Should Know. To Tech You Should Know. I am Cassidy Taylor, the podcast princess, and we are sitting here with Stephen White, CEO of Stage It. And we're talking everything virtual concert. You know, what is the money there? And, and you know how really how successful these things are. So we are here in 2020. We are all living the same reality where live shows just aren't a thing right now. You can't go to a concert venue anymore. They're not going to pack 50,000 people into the Staples Center and have a concert anymore. So now that they're the only option, what have you seen change in 2020? I mean, there's a, a tremendous amount that's changed. You know, as, you, as you try to take you know, an experience that is a physical, in-real-life experience and try to move it into a virtual environment, I think the mistake a lot of people make is just trying to take that same experience and put it online. And the reality is the online experience, the virtual experience is different um, just by the nature of the medium itself. And, and also because of all of the additional things that it can give you, you know, we talked about earlier in the segment, we give every fan in the house a front row seat. You know, everybody has this, you know, has this access and has this front row seat, has the ability to interact with the artist. And so it's just a very different experience, but you know, a lot of the mistakes that are being made is folks thinking that you can just pop a camera in front of a stage and have someone perform and it's going to translate the same way as being there and experiencing a live performance in person. And the reality is that that just doesn't work. Um, It's a, it's a very unfulfilling thing to just see somebody play with little to no interaction with the fan. Um, and just try to, you know, do a live show without, you know, without taking advantage of this blank canvas of interactive live streaming that we have in front of us. So what have been some of the most unique or maybe the coolest things you've seen done with virtual concerts, maybe through Stage Its Own Platform? I mean, we've seen, you know, artists like Devin Townsend that have, you know, done amazing things with green screening and, you know, just creating these amazing worlds in which, you know, the artists seem to be almost floating in space and, you know, you can create these backgrounds and create these, um, the, a whole experience around the performance that's just very, very different than what you could do in real life and on stage. Um, you know, we've seen DJs do very similar things. I think a lot of the things people are doing with plasma walls and LED screens and green screening, you know, it's been pretty amazing. Um, and then just the content itself, you know, we see folks being very creative and, you know, the, the, the canvas of live streaming really allows every performer to be their own network. And so while I might be a, a famous singer, you know, I have other interests too. And, you know, maybe I'm a cook or maybe I'm a painter or maybe I, you know, I, I have some other cause or interest that I'm, I'm passionate about. And what Stage It does for that artist, it gives them the ability to express all of that through a same platform to a set of fans who are very loyal and, and, and you know, will continue to support that artist no matter what they're doing. We've had, you know, famous, famous singers, platinum, you know, selling singers doing cooking shows. We have live painting shows. We have health and wellness, you know, instruction. We've got, 
comedy, we've got worship, you know, anything you can think about that, you know, requires someone to get up in front of a set of people and do some sort of performance can happen on stages. That's very interesting. And I saw that you were also doing work, not just with artists and performers, but with venues as well. And I would like you to kind of explain some of that, how you're partnering with these famous venues and working with communities to really kind of use this virtual technology to keep basically all these low uh, income now because, you know, their bars and venues, they're not making money in 2020. You're kind of helping keep them afloat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very sad to think about what's happened to, you know, the venues and the kind of whole ecosystem here around live music. Not only can performers not perform, but the venues where they performed, you know, can't sell food and alcohol and, and, and can't make money through, through ticket sales. The staff that worked these events, whether they be the bar and club staff or the sound and lighting technicians that supported these shows, you know, are all furloughed or out of work. And so we felt it was very important for us at Stage It to utilize our platform to help however we could to get these venues reopened and to get revenue flowing back into that part of the ecosystem so that these bars, clubs, and venues don't die. Uh, and so that these folks who support the industry you know, can continue to make a living. And so we put the venue program in place to open these clubs back up, to get them, you know, get performers back on stage inside of these venues. Um, it allows us to have a, a level of production that's very different than someone, you know, performing in their kitchen for you. Um, and it allows the venues to start generating revenue again. It's been very successful. We've done, you know, we've got venues all over the country that are now streaming on stage at, um, you know, from Nashville to Austin to New Orleans to San Francisco to New York, um, you know, big music cities that all have very vibrant, you know, live music uh, ecosystems. And we've tried to identify, you know, the the bars and clubs in those locations that we think are some of the most iconic and important venues like the Bluebird and, you know, Franklin, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, like Preservation Hall and DBA in New Orleans, like the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, these places that just have created incredible memories for people around these live experiences and to get them get them up and running again. And then as the world starts to reopen and these, these folks all have to go through this ramping period of limited capacity shows, we can continue to augment the revenue um, for these live performances and allow them to, again, you know, create enough revenue to stay alive. And then, you know, even at a point when the world kind of reopens entirely, which, you know, we think is probably 2022 before that really happens, um, we're unable, we're able then to, you know, allow somebody who's in Albuquerque, New Mexico to go to a show in New Orleans or, you know, East Berlin to attend a show in Nashville. And we think that's just an amazing amplification of these venues and of the culture in a way that we think just you know, continues to support live music and support both the artists and the venues and the whole, you know, support system of folks that work in these places. Yeah. And it is kind of sad to think about, you know, how every, everyone is impacted with everything going on in the world these days, but it is nice to know that there is something good that came out of this and it is something like that. It's, you know, before 
today, really, I couldn't go see this band that I loved in the UK because they only performed in the UK. Well, now they're doing virtual concerts. It's not the same thing, but you adjust your expectations. And it was like seeing them live. And the tickets were cheap because, I mean, a lot cheaper than a flight to the UK, for sure. And so are people more interested in virtual concerts now than ever before because it is the only option? Well, I think it being the only option has has opened people's eyes to what it is. It's allowed a lot of people who never experienced a virtual concert, a virtual performance to try it because they really had, you know, very few other options. You know, you can only watch Netflix for so long before you've watched everything, you know, and I think um, especially for folks that are fans of live music, you know, it was a really important outlet. And so that's, I mean, absolutely. The numbers are overwhelming. Over 80% of consumers say they'll continue to consume, you know, virtual content and virtual uh, concerts after the world reopens. Um, There's so many things that are good about it in terms of the convenience, you know, the access to content you didn't have access to before, the cost effectiveness of it, the ability to, you know, put these things on, you know, where you may be, you know, bouncing a baby in your arms or having to make dinner or, you know, having to do whatever it is in real life that you have to do that might've kept you from going out to a club or a venue and seeing a show, you know, why should you be left out? Because you, you know, you can't afford it or you can't make the time to go see it. So it just, it, it, it's a different way to consume this type of, of content. But once folks are exposed to it, they absolutely love it. And, you know, we believe very strongly that, people will continue to consume this content forever now. It's part of the fabric of performance from here on out. That is interesting because I was looking at some of the numbers of what virtual concerts are making now. And specifically one group, which is the Korean pop sensation around the world, basically BTS. I don't know if you're aware of this number, but I heard they made $20 million in one virtual concert it back over the summer and then that broke a record and then they broke their own record in October and we don't know how much they made from that but they sold probably double the amount of tickets and it's because there is no cap on seating you can't sell out a virtual concert um and we we do urge our artists to sell out we do actually on stage it put limits on the number of tickets um for a given show And we do that to create urgency, you know, around the consumers buying tickets so that if you knew you could get a ticket at any time to any show you wanted and you didn't have to buy anything ahead of time, you could just walk up and get a ticket. Always, you would always wait to the last second and just if you felt like going at that moment, you would go. Um, We we have a little bit of a different approach at at Stage It in that we, we do urge folks to set a number of tickets available for a show and sell it out. You can always release more tickets if you sell out too quickly, for example, but um, we think it's important to limit access a little bit. You know, BTS was amazing. The K-pop fandom is quite staggering um, in terms of how they activate uh, around the artists that they care about. Uh, And BTS, you know, both those shows, you know, they had really amazing numbers of, you know, 750,000 and over a million, you know, folks attending these shows. It's pretty amazing. But the average 
you know, the average artist isn't doing those kind of numbers. The average artist is doing, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a show. Um, still great numbers. And, you know, the types of numbers that a lot of these musicians never would see in the real world. You know, they would make $5,000 for a show or $7,500 for a show. They wouldn't make 25000 or 50000 And so we are, you know, we've paid out a little bit over $6 million to artists since March. Um, we handle about 10% of the overall market in terms of ticketed live shows. Um, and we're really, really proud of, you know, what we've been able to do in terms of generating real revenue, substantial revenue for artists. Wow, six million. That's uh, pretty impressive for, you know, everyone else taking a hit in pandemic world. And so what I want to talk about next when we get back from the break is what is the longevity of these concerts? Are they here to stay? And then, like, I want to get in a little bit to how we can make the most out of this experience as the consumer. Um, We're no longer the artist performing it, but we're sitting at home watching it. And how can we really enjoy this content at home? So stick around. Coming up on Tech You Should Know, we are going to give you all the final advice you need for virtual concerts. Welcome back to Tech You Should Know. We are talking everything virtual concerts. And I want to talk a little bit about the future of these virtual concerts. And you were mentioning earlier that we're looking at the world kind of more or less going back to normal around 2022. Do you think virtual concerts are going to stay? Absolutely. Um, You know, the consumers have spoken. Artists have spoken. Um, There's no doubt that this stuff's here to stay. If you think about it from the artist's perspective, um, you know, many of these artists were touring 200 to 250 days out of the year. That's just a tremendous amount of time to be on the road. It takes a lot out of you as a, you know, just a, a, out of your health to be able, traveling that much. Um, you know, you're, you're separated from your friends and your family. Um, and so the benefits on the artist side, just in terms of uh, health and wellness, you know, and, um, and the ability to, to still reach your fans in a way that you're not leaving anything behind is just hugely valuable to them. For consumers, you know, the convenience and access, you don't have to get a babysitter, you don't have to pay for parking, you don't have to, you know, leave the comfort of your home and pay $20 for the beer that you have sitting in your, your refrigerator. You know, the, there's some real convenience and value there to be able to you know, consume some of this content at home. It doesn't mean you won't go out to those shows. We, you know, I'm a rabid live music fan. I will absolutely be out at shows as much as I was before, but I will augment that with, you know, live streams that I want to consume in the in-between times. And, do and you- then just one, one last thing here that I think is, is often very, um, goes, goes very unspoken as we think about uh, virtual concerts. The music industry is a tremendous contributor to greenhouse emissions. There, you know, there are millions and millions of artists on the road every year, flying, driving in buses, you know, equipment moving back and forth in, in, you know, in big rigs, all of that goes away um, when you reduce this to, you know, live streaming. And so it's got a tremendously beneficial impact to the environment, something I think we all need to be, you know, very focused on given what we see happening with our world. We're here in California as, you know, California continues to burn around us, 
Um, we think there's huge, huge benefits here from an environmental perspective. That is actually something I wasn't even thinking about. And I'm glad you said that because that is something that is on a lot of people's minds, whether it's in the back of their head or just something they think about in general is, you know, how can I make less of a damaging impact on the world around me? What I want to know is how can we best enjoy these concerts at home in the situation that we are in? Because we're not going to shows. It's just not going to happen. What can we do at home to really just hone in on the experience while also understanding that it's not going to be a live show? Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really challenging right now for the consumer is discovery, you know, understanding that these things are happening. You know, we hear time and time again, oh, if I'd only known that show was happening, I would have been there. Um, so discovery and, and really understanding what's coming is a huge part of this. We've got a great partner in On Now um, that's a, a live stream guide, um, onnow.tv. I would urge you guys to all check that out. Um, a fabulous service. Uh, we work very closely with folks like Bands in Town. Um, we've got some partnerships, you know, rolling out with some of your streaming providers to integrate these listings into your on-demand streaming service so that you know when the bands that you care about are, are, are live streaming and performing. So all that stuff, you know, planning a little bit of, you know, thinking about what content you're going to consume over the course of the week, much like you would plan what night you're going to go out to a, an event with your friends and that kind of stuff, I think is, is becoming more and more important. And then just, you know, enjoying this experience itself. Many folks um, are starting to cast this content to their big screen TVs, to their home systems, you know, consuming this um, at home in ways that are really delightful versus just looking at your phone, um, you know, and really make it make a make an evening and event out of it. Invite your friends over, you know, to the extent that you have the ability to do so safely with all the COVID precautions and folks, you know, in your your network. Um you know, and, you know, you can obviously make your own drinks at home, make your own food and do all those kind of things that allow you to, you know, really enjoy the show. And then the other part is interact. You know, these are interactive experiences. You have the ability to talk to the artist. You have the ability to talk to the other fans. You have the ability to really express yourself as a fan in ways that, you know, are challenging at, at, at a, a live event. You, you know, you might talk to the two or three people sitting right around you, but you, know, you really don't have the opportunity to interact with the artist at all, uh, usually, uh, unless you've got some VIP access and, you know, and don't have the opportunity to broadly interact with the fan base. So, you know, dive in, be yourself, let your freak flag fly, you know, get in there and, and be who you are as a fan. While we all hope this pandemic ends soon, it is good to hear that some positives came out of 2020. I want to say thank you again to Stephen White, CEO of Stageit, for coming on today and teaching us all about this amazing tech connecting venues, musicians, and their fans. And hey, speaking of staying connected, as you might have guessed, I am not Kim Commando, and this is not the Kim Commando Show. If you are looking for the show that helps you live your best digital life, Head on over to GetKim.com and you'll get a free 30-day trial of the Commando community. There, you can get the Kim Commando Show, our podcast, breaking tech news, tips and tricks. I hear the DIY video gal is pretty cool. And there is a great Q&A forum to give you answers to all of your tech questions. Again, that's at GetKim.com. If you like this episode of Tech You Should Know, be sure to leave us a great five-star review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'd like to give a round of applause to Kim Commando herself, the digital goddess, for all the hard work she does to put these episodes together, as well as our producer, Mike James. 
I'm your friendly neighborhood show producer, podcast co-host, and podcast princess, Cassidy Taylor, signing off.